Okay. Today on our podcast, I would like to welcome Noah Church. And Noah has uh, a lot of things going on. So I'm going to introduce the primary um, aspects of his work and his accomplishments. And then, of course, we'll talk about them more along the way. So Noah is the author of WAC, uh, Addicted to Internet Porn. He also is a coach for people who are recovering from problematic porn use in their lives. And he has teamed up with Remojo, an app that is on the forefront of helping people leave porn behind. So we'll discuss all of those points as we get going. So thank you for joining me today, Noah. I really Thanks appreciate Thanks for having it. me on, Dr. Lee, and for the yeah. stellar introduction. <laughs> yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I we've we've come up with some discussion points that I think will be really, really helpful to all the listeners here today, because I know it's the sticking points for a lot of people, what they want to know. Um, uh, jokingly, I told Noah ahead of time that a lot of the, the concepts are the ones that don't really have a solid, good answer for people when they're really looking for one. So, um you know, we'll kind of dive into that um, and we'll intertwine some concepts and know, you know, just jump in. And if you have anything to add when I'm kind of going through what we're what we've agreed we would talk about, um, if it's OK, I'd like to start with one question that I've had a lot lately this week is that I've actually talked to people who are really devastated by their porn use and devastated by what they have ended up consuming and are having a hard time reconciling that past use. And I know I read on your website, actually, that you had written something about, you know, being able to get over the fact that you had consumed pornography. Do you have any advice for people? And I know from my standpoint, I want people to capitalize on those emotions at that beginning point of contemplating recovery from pornography. So I don't want to dismiss them, but at the same time, I don't want to people, people to sit in a shame cycle or begin a shame cycle. So it's this delicate balance of, you know, taking those emotions and helping them to fuel your recovery while, you know, I, I don't know how to phrase it, maybe like feeling perfectly bad about it to motivate you, but not allowing it to bring you backwards. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, we're still relatively early, I think, in understanding how chronic pornography use affects the brain, affects our sexuality. And a lot of my knowledge comes from my clients. You know, as much as they learn from me, I learn from them. And I see many of the same issues crop up over and over again. And some of those I had too, because I, I came into this field from personal experience. And so there's a lot of reasons why someone might feel guilt or shame about their pornography use. It might come from the culture or religion that they were raised in. It might come from just their lack of control over that aspect of their lives. They might feel guilty and ashamed because they, they don't feel like they have control over whether or not they use pornography or, or how often or what type of content. And then, of course, there's the escalation factor, wherein people who are chronically using and desensitizing themselves to all that sexual stimulus, they start to seek out more and more stimulating or shocking or emotional things, novel things. And there's this conception that is popular that in pornography, we find out you know, who we are or what, what really sparks our sexual interest. Mm -hmm. And that any, anything that turns you on in pornography, it's just something that you're discovering about yourself. And to a certain extent, that is true. People do experience those things. And they might discover when they start using pornography, like, oh, I prefer you know, partners who take control or who are, who are more submissive, or I prefer this type of body, that sort of thing. Or I prefer you know, my same gender as opposed to the opposite. 
But over years of chronic porn use, something different can happen. That's not so much discovery, but it's actually warping our sexual palate, our sexual tastes. And people can stop becoming aroused by the things, the images, the scenarios that initially were so exciting to them and need more and more extreme content. And that can, of course, that rabbit hole goes deep and you can keep, <laughs> keep going down that rabbit hole quite a ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and many people get to a point where the content that they're looking at is compelling to them. It's very compelling and stimulating, but as soon as they're mm-hmm. done or even during, they're thinking, is this who I am? Like, how, how can I ever have a healthy relationship if this is what I'm fixated on? And there, of course, can be a lot of guilt and shame about that and a lot of need for reassurance. You know, and that can actually keep people attached to pornography because as they're learning about how pornography probably affected their sexuality and affected their relationships in their life, and they're trying to leave it behind, they might still look to pornography for reassurance about who they are and what they're, what they're aroused by, which can keep them hooked on it and keep them coming back and keep them from actually healing. So what I've seen time and time again is that many of these disturbing interests that have developed through years of chronic pornography use through that process of becoming porn free, they fade into the background or can in some cases disappear entirely. It's kind of like people who, who smoke cigarettes for a long time. Some of them, once they quit, they can't stand the smell of cigarette smoke. They have no interest. Mm-hmm. Other people might still be interested. You know, They might still like the smell of cigarette smoke. They might still be tempted. Um, and yet they don't need it. You know, they, There's no longer something that controls them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one to to kink shame or to say that any, any particular sexual interest is, is wrong or inherently uh, something that you should be turning away from. But if it is something that's getting in the way of, of your ability to enjoy a relationship and to enjoy sex, then it's a problem. And yeah. for some of those interests that might've been developed through pornography use, that maybe never would have been an interest for you if you hadn't been a porn user, uh, it might never completely go away. And it might even be a healthy part of, of future relationships if it's something that your partner you're with is also interested in. But it shouldn't be something that you need in order to become aroused and enjoy a sexual experience. And if that's the case, then you probably need time away from pornography and indulging in that sort of fantasy and content mm-hmm. in order to get back that sensitivity and just be able to enjoy you know, connected, intimate, present sexual experience. Yeah, which some people actually never have it's not even getting back to enjoying it. They never have. And especially in today's day and age where many younger people have been exposed to internet pornography. So young, they haven't even had connected sexual experiences. They don't even know. I just did a a short segment on healthy sexuality, which, uh, you know, honestly could probably be a year long segment on (laughs) teaching people how to develop that healthy sexuality. Um, but they don't even know what that is. And that's the hard part, I think. And, you know, the person that I was thinking of, uh, the main person I was thinking of is a younger man uh, who like is just ill about what he's gotten into. And he's got a whole life ahead of him and doesn't even know how to get away from. But the realization that it really is morally incongruent. And I try not to go morals in what I talk about with people but there are studies on moral incongruency and how it shifts a person from, from shame to recovery, if they can really tap into that moral incongruency and, you know, that, and it leads into another question that I wanted to, or discussion point wanted to chat with you about in terms of, you know, quote unquote fetishes, which you've already started to bring up that, you know, really it's changes in arousal template, which is what you've just described where 
initially someone might discover porn and go, yeah, this is cool. And I'm into this. And then as it develops, and, you know, I know this is probably loaded in that when it develops, people then develop arousal templates that aren't at all what they would have developed, you know, sans porn without porn. Yeah. And so then people are like, how do I know what I really like? You know, I talk with a lot of people who are confused because they find the same gender arousing. And that's a big thing. This is the loaded thing is that now there's same sex attraction, OCD, and people are treating that without ever thinking about or discussing pornography and the impact on the person's brain and their thought system and their behaviors. So, you know, really I try to help people because they ask me all the time, like, what do I do about this fetish? And my response, and this is what I'd like to discuss, and you've already kind of, I think you agree with me in what you've said, but my response to people is if it is something that can be integrated into a healthy sex life, and especially if you've been going to this type of porn for the last 20 years and it's become your main arousal template, it may be difficult to kind of let those neural pathways die off, which means let that arousal die off. So if it can be integrated into a healthy sex life, that's a way to incorporate it and not try to avoid it for the rest of your life. And that's one way. Then when it comes to unhealthy behaviors or genres or acts that can't really be incorporated into a healthy sex life because they're not healthy, it becomes a little bit more difficult because people have to let those yeah. neural pathways die off. Do you have any thoughts or any advice for people on, you know, if anything to add to that about trying to add healthy and disintegrate unhealthy patterns. And especially people want to know, like, how does that fit into the time frame of my recovery? Like, when do I start doing that? Any thoughts on that? Well, I can say one thing for sure, which is that if you're confused about your sexual identity based on what you've escalated to in pornography, you're not going to find any answers in porn or with porn. <laughs> Uh, the answers exist you know, out there in the real world, real relationships and real experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not something that you can probably find out while you're still actively using pornography either. I would really recommend to people in those situations that they do whatever they need to do to become porn free and give themselves that time to let, let some of that conditioning to porn die off and and open themselves back up to those real world experiences so that yeah, they can find out space. for themselves. I always say time and space, give yourself time and space so you can figure this stuff out. Yeah. It's like, if I'm, if I've been eating sugar every day, like candy every day, and then I eat an apple, it might not taste like anything at all. It might not taste <laughs> sweet at all, but if I give myself enough time away from processed sweets, then I can appreciate those flavors of the apple again. So you might need that time, but then you also need to start having some apples, you know, having some healthy, <laughs> healthy experiences so that you can figure out for yourself what you really like. And, you know, for some people, um, what they've escalated to is very incongruent with what they really want out of relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, I work with a lot of men who have escalated to uh, pornography featuring male to female transsexuals, mm -hmm. um, which you know, nothing wrong with attraction to people of any you know body types or, or sexualities or genders, but it feels incongruent to them with what they really want, which is marriage and a family and the biological children, which it would be impossible with that sort of relationship. And uh, for them, especially if they've never actually experimented with such a relationship or such a sexual experience in person, and it's all just been through the screen, then I recommend before they make that choice, just to give themselves that time and space first so that they can start to reconnect with 
what what they're really into. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if that's something that's still, you know, six months or a year on is something they feel really compelled to explore, uh, then, you know, I would say perhaps that's something that could be beneficial for you to experience in real life. But for the most, for the majority of people I work with in that situation, it's really more of an objectifying desire. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. they don't desire relationships in that sort of context, it's more of just the sexual fantasy that's become obsessive and there's really no satisfaction or connection or intimacy to be found there for most of them. Um, and once they have enough of that time and space away, it loses, it loses its appeal. And especially once they start having more real satisfying intimate and sexual experiences. Um, as for the guilt and shame thing, there's one more thing I wanted to say about that, which is that no, for decades, the pornographic content has been honed to be as compelling and stimulating as possible and to hook people who see it. And a little kid, you know, who's just growing up and discovering his sexuality or her sexuality is no match for them, you know, mm-hmm. and especially if they're not prepared and educated about the potential dangers there. It's not your fault that you walked into a trap, you know, that was, that was designed and set up for, for decades before you were even aware of it. And mm-hmm. I don't want people to, to punish themselves for walking into that trap unprepared because now that you're an adult, maybe, and you're listening to this and you realize that pornography is a problem for you, it is your responsibility to take ownership <laughs> of that and to seek healing and seek understanding, but it's, you're not to blame for having yeah. that problem in the first place. Yeah. I literally just made a video. So when it comes out and I'm wearing this shirt, you, <laughs> people will know. <laughs> I literally just made a video as I was getting ready, I was compelled to make this video that porn exploits you is what it's called. Because of course, the the conversation around how pornography exploits the people who are involved in the porn industry and you know, sexual human trafficking is obviously a huge concern. And I don't want to take away from that, but I'm mostly talking to people who have got sucked into porn. And so I tell people the exact same thing that you said, this is not your fault but this is your responsibility. And I literally said the exact same words that you are just saying there is that when you are, when now in today's day and age, it pops up in front of you. You can't even, a a nine-year-old can't help it. It like, you know, I, I know that when I've searched for things before, I'm like, whoa, that's not at all what, you know, I wanted. And I know it happens to my children. I have five kids and that, you know, you're blindsided by it. And then your brain has this neural reaction that, you can't help. And so then it becomes this super normal stimulus and that's not your fault. And then going back for more isn't your fault either because they know how highly addictive it is. And the porn industry is in fact exploiting consumers. First and foremost, they're also exploiting people who are involved in it, but consumers are being exploited first and foremost for the addictive nature. And they know, and it's you know one of the most profitable industries in the world. And getting worse. The younger you can hook people, you can have a lifelong customer. Definitely. And the science shows that, that the younger a person's brain is, I always say, hijacked by pornography, the more difficult it is to break the cycle. We know that from science. And that's the difference between drugs and alcohol, where people don't usually find it, you know, at least like teen, most, you know, pe- people, late teens, 20s, you know, some people do earlier, but the average age is so much different. And, you know, it makes it so much more difficult. So it's not people's fault. And that's exactly what I, you know, tell people to, um, I was writing myself notes. So I want to forget, go ahead. Yeah. There's also no natural innate biological drive for alcohol. 
mm-hmm. you know, whereas for sexuality, it certainly is, it's baked into us. And I've seen that when an addiction or a compulsion is related to a natural drive like that, like for food or for sex, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it can be, can be much more difficult in many ways because for an alcoholic, maybe the solution is no more alcohol ever, but for someone with a sexual addiction, it's not about no more sexuality or sex ever again. It's about how do I, how do I relearn everything I know about this so that I can interact with my own sexuality in a healthy way. that doesn't leave me filled with shame. Someone just said that to me in their mid fifties. Someone just said to me, it feels like I have to change everything about myself because hypersexuality has been the driving force for 50 years. So like literally that person's identity and it is different than eating disorders in that eating disorders is, is based out of control. Actually, the neural mechanisms are very similar, but it's in, it tends to be a control less so than the addictive nature of the cycle. It has some similarities, but when people are pulled into this addictive cycle of pornography, especially from young ages, their identity revolves around it. So now going at the world from a healthy sexual standpoint instead of a hypersexual one is a completely new concept that needs to be, uh, I, first of all, identified, figured out, and then implemented. And you're totally right. Like I, that's why I say to people, you have to learn how to eat healthy, uh, you know, and not try to, you know, you have to learn a new skill really. And it can become challenging. That goes to the question of, you know, in the end, we'll leave, we'll leave the timeframes till the end, but people want to know, like, when do I add in trying the apple? Like, you know, cause it's can become easy or easier for people to abstain from sex. Once they get rolling in recovery and they're feeling good about setting up new structure, really working on the aspects of recovery that they need to. So they are distracting themselves or kind of trying to, you know, quelch that sexual drive in them while they work on the aspect, the foundational aspects of recovery. But then when it's time to integrate healthy sexuality back in, that can really throw people for a loop because it's like, it's only been unhealthy. Then it's been none. And I've been suppressing that part. I don't even know how to go from, go from all to none to partial. How do I open that door again without just bringing back all the old compulsive disruptive behaviors? Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, a really challenging thing for people. Do you have any thoughts on that one? It's a complex question <laughs> and it's highly individual. You know, there's no prescription that will be a one size fits all. Yeah. Um, and I like I, what you, I like what you already said. You have to start trying to eat some apples and like, you know, stick with the apples and keep, keep eating apples, and keep, <laughs> you know, practicing eating apples, but you're totally right. Like it's, you know, people ask me that all the time, you know, it's difficult for people with partners. It's difficult for people without partners. There's so many working parts to the question. I know there's not one great answer, but did you have a thought? There are a few principles that I can share, which Mm -hmm. is one general prediction that I give is that for most people who are following the guidelines, who are staying porn free, tend to see significant progress within 90 days of making that decision and following those principles. And wow. relatively full recovery from sexual dysfunctions, at least within a year, you know, yeah. getting back to that point where they can enjoy or f- for the first time to where they can j- and enjoy present, you know, mindful, connected sex. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. as for relationships, you know, for if you're already in a relationship, well, you're in a relationship. Mm-hmm. If, if you're addicted, though, and you're not in a relationship, 
then I do think that there is a lot of merit to getting to a stable place in your own recovery and your own life before pursuing relationships, because bringing an active addiction into a relationship can cause you both a lot of pain and it's, it can be very emotionally disruptive. You know, there's a lot of ups and downs in a new romantic relationship. And that's when you need, when you need stability in your life, then that can be a dangerous thing. And as for now, how do I know when, like how many days to wait before I start eating some apples? (laughs) I think the more important thing is just to be able to be in tune with your own body and your own brain and your own desires Mm -hmm. and be mindful about how you feel. And you can, you don't have to actually try penetrative sex Mm -hmm. in order to start noticing things, you know, Mm -hmm. just, just looking someone in the eye and being on a date or just talking Mm -hmm. to someone you can start to notice differences in how you interact with people and how you feel when you're, you know, just having eye contact with someone you're attracted to or holding hands or kissing or cuddling all of that. You can start to feel changes throughout this process. Um, If you have PIED, you know, porn induced erectile dysfunction, Mm -hmm. then yeah, you're numb at the beginning Mm -hmm. and you need some time to regain your sensitivity. You know, once you stop eating candy every day, (laughs) you can't just go right into eating apples because you know, it's, it's not going to taste good and you won't probably have positive experiences. And for people who have had a lot of quote unquote failures and sexual intimacy because of the sexual dysfunction, they can start to associate sex with all those difficult emotions of embarrassment and shame and dread. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to add more, you know, to that negative association with sex. So it's, it's best to give yourself some time away let yourself resensitize so that when you start again, trying to eat apples, you can build some positive associations with those experiences. Yeah, definitely. I love that. I think that's really great advice that people don't want to hear, (laughs) (laughs) but but at the same time, that's exactly what they need to hear. And something I share with people, because I feel like a lot of people want to jump right back into that, obviously, because that's where their brain is going, but time and space is really important and powerful. Um, they also can look at sex as performances instead of experiences. So I know I've gotten a few emails this week, like, you know, I was having sex with my girlfriend and I had premature ejaculation. It's so embarrassing. And, you know, my answer to that is if she was having a good experience with you during the building arousal and culminating of arousal, I doubt she cares about that aspect because, it's an experience, not, she's not judging your performance. It's not a, it's not the Olympics, you know? So that framework shift too, of taking it from performance to experience where, and I know that can be challenging for people because they they've watched so many performances, they conceptualize it as a performance and shifting it out of performance to, to experience can be really important. Um, and if I can integrate a thought, I was wrote myself two notes when you were talking before, so I wouldn't forget is that like that the friction point between anxiety and arousal that people learn in pornography can be transferred over into a healthy sexual relationship so that that aspect of excitement can still be there, but in a different way, talking about how people can transition from unhealthy to healthy sexuality. And one other thought was that you know, it's avoidance of intimacy, like talking about people who end up escalating into uh, 
transsexual type of pornography. I talk to a lot of people. First thing I tell people is you're not alone. This is like rampant. You this is you are not alone. This confusion because they're confused. They don't know how they got there. They don't know why they keep going back. And it goes to that increase in intensity and going for the intensity of pleasure that they're now getting from this new genre. And it can be really off-putting and they can't stop going back to all the things you said about loss of control, you know, being caught up in this whole thing. Um, And it also increases that friction zone in, in their brain of anxiety around not wanting to view it, but viewing it anyways. And that can also ramp up that arousal, but at lower levels, you know, again, going from candy bars to apples that can be brought into a healthy sexual relationship in a different way. And when people get caught up in that, and again, going to your point about transsexual, where that might not be something that the person wants and it doesn't align with what they are trying to create in their world, but that works for them because they're avoiding intimacy. We know from the science that many times when people go into pornography, it's because intimacy and connection in the real world is hard or scary or terrifying to those people. So it's so much easier to just view somebody that can never happen with in the real world and, you know, kind of moving in that direction so that it does, it is very incongruent. And, you know, compartmentalization is a very big aspect of pornography consumption and sexual addiction and hypersexuality. So putting that into a compartment for arousal, but one that doesn't at all align with what's going on in real life can help a person. But unfortunately, while it's serving them in that way, it's also damaging their brain first and foremost. And secondly, that brain damage is going, you know, spilling over to creating problems in their behaviors, in how they feel internally, in their relationships, all of that. So intimacy, when you build intimacy in the real world, that is the way out. You know, the way out is through being able to give yourself time and space from that, and then go try to create the thing you might be avoiding, try to create it in in the real world. And I know so many people tell me like, I'm too ugly. I'm too angry. There's nobody out there. My city only has 50,000 women. <laughs> I hear that more than I'm like, what are you talking about? All you need is one. Like, yeah. You don't need 50,000. You literally need one person who's who you vibe with, but, you know, putting yourself out on a limb and creating, creating that intimacy. Um, do you have any thoughts about that or lots of thoughts? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like you said, it's, it's hard. Real relationships, they're, they're challenging and they take some work and some effort and there's not immediate satisfaction. You know, it's not just click, click and, and you can control everything about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing that porn offers that is very alluring was that illusion of complete control, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. control the sexual experience. Mm-hmm. And which is ironic because so many people lose control of their own lives through mm-hmm. seeking that control in pornography mm-hmm. and move away from from real intimacy and real sex. This is, this was applied to me. You know, I wanted so badly to move towards that, that, you know, I got caught up in pornography, which ultimately kept it away from me, you know, kept that experience of real love and real intimacy, real sex um, impossible for me while I was using. Yeah. And that, that's what people say, you know, I'll stop watching porn. Once I find a relationship, a ship, I'm like, no, 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 you need to change that. Cause you're never going to find one that's a healthy one until you, you know, switch that cause and effect relationship there. And watching porn is like watching soccer to prepare for playing basketball. You know, it's, (laughs) 
what those people on the screen are doing usually has very little in common with what real couples actually enjoy doing with each other for one. And two, you know, it's such a completely different experience um, watching some flashing lights on a screen and being a voyeur and having complete control versus Mm -hmm. actually being present and intimate with another human being. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a completely different experience. And Mm -hmm. I think I encourage people to give themselves the gift of, of not trying to control those intimate experiences once they leave the porn behind and not to be attached to exactly what they want out of those relationships, because they probably don't know. Most of the people I work with have never been, have never lived porn free in their adult lives. So they don't know who they are, what they want, what they enjoy without that influence of porn in their lives. And if they're attached to trying to recreate some fantasy that they've been fostering with their porn use in their real life relationships, then they're cutting themselves off from a lot of potential gifts that they might receive when they let go of those expectations. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Yeah. Control. That's really, uh, that's really cool. Do you have any thoughts on, or do you have 5,000 thoughts on uh, fantasy and how people, you know, in this journey of recovery, another big question for people is, you know, I've stopped consuming pornography. I haven't gone back to the screen in X amount of days, but those fantasy thoughts keep coming to me. And, you know, I know what I tell people, but I'd love to hear what you say about what to do with those thoughts when they come and how to, you know, stop them from coming and to be able to move forward with exactly what you're talking about. Usually it's attachment to, you know, the thing that is the strongest piece of their arousal template. Any thoughts on fantasy and how to deal with that? Yeah, I have a lot of videos and articles, you know, that I made throughout the years Mm -hmm. and I'll keep them in a list with links so I can send them to people because one of the most common ones I send to people is my article and video on fantasy and masturbation, porn-free masturbation. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of people who have been using porn for a long time might think of porn and masturbation as one and the same, Mm -hmm. uh, but really they are separate. And some people make the choice to abstain from both. And that can be a perfectly legitimate choice, but Mm -hmm. they should be considered separately as well as, you know, fantasy can be separate from pornography. And fantasy serves a purpose. You know, there's a reason we have the ability to fantasize. It allows mm-hmm. us to imagine possibilities that we don't currently have in our lives. We can fantasize about careers that you know, we might want to explore. And mm-hmm. that can lead to changing our career or you know, enrolling in education or doing an internship. Mm-hmm. You know, we can fantasize about the kind of sex and relationships that we want to have in the future. And that can help us figure out what we want so that we can then seek it out and create it in our real lives. Uh, But fantasy can also become compulsive in that you're seeking escape from your real life. And it's no longer about figuring out where you want to go. It's about escaping from where you are. Mm -hmm. And those sorts of fantasies, I think it's important to be mindful about why you're fantasizing. And Mm -hmm. there are stages to this process. And I think it is important, maybe not the first stage, but at some point, to try to live without fantasy, you know, give yourself that break from all sexual stimulation and sexual fantasy. And it doesn't have to be permanent, but it can be like a fast, you know, a fast Mm -hmm. that can teach you a lot about yourself and teach you some self-discipline so that you can start to assert some captaincy in your own life over Mm -hmm. how I'm going to engage with my sexuality, when and where and how and with whom I'm going to express it rather than just being buffeted about by your impulses. And then once you have some of that discipline and ability to 
to make your own decisions about that, then you can perhaps open yourself up back to a certain type of fantasy. Um, but some of the guidelines that I prescribe for people are that it should be you know, realistic, as realistic as possible. Not memories of pornography, of course, or pornography inspired or voyeuristic, but keeping it first person, you know, what would it actually feel like to be in this circumstance mm-hmm. um, and keeping it and instead of jumping right into sex, you know, imagining what it would be like to you know, make her laugh for the first time or kiss for the first time and that sort of thing. And also to keep it limited to one scenario rather than, you know, imagining one woman for a few minutes and then three other women for another minute, um, because that's much more similar to pornography where you can switch and get that constant flood of novelty. Um, so keeping it grounded in reality and really imagining what sort of sexual experience I want to create in my future uh, can be a stepping stone, I think, toward actually creating that in your life. Yeah, again, that's beautiful. I love that. Mm-hmm. It can become a slippery slope if people aren't ready for that. You know, if they Absolutely. open the door again and they're not ready for it, then it can, it can become compulsive again. So it's important to be mindful and to have the right support system around you so that you can bounce these ideas off of people and and get some outsider feedback and perspective because it's it's difficult to have perspective on our own selves. Absolutely. Yeah. Solving out of the box problems from in the box, right? You need people outside the box to be able to provide perspective. Yeah. And most people that I talk with, I have developed a strategy, but it has neuroscience behind it. And again, it's, uh, you know, I would say none of them are rocket science, but they are neuroscience driven in that, you know, what the brain is looking for in those really early stages is a dopamine hit. So like when you have a fantasy thought, it's not even sexual in nature. It has been linked to sexuality over 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, but it really is your brain saying, I need a hit of dopamine right now because you've accidentally trained it that all the dopamine is in pornography or sexual thoughts or sexual acting out. So when you are now at dinner with your in-laws and all of a sudden you start fantasizing or you're at work and you're supposed to be doing this project and your brain takes you off to you know fantasy, it's telling you it needs mood regulation. The number one reason people use pornography is to take the edge off of anxiety or to have to do something that doesn't have an easy button. Right now, I've got to get through a two-hour dinner with my in-laws. There's no easy button on the dopamine there. There's none to be found because your brain's been trained. No dopamine with the in-laws. And trying to bring your brain back into the present and find something that could be dopamine producing. Your partner is a perfect thing. If you have a partner and you're trying to rebuild your relationship or build your relationship. And like you said, getting a laugh out of that person and then being able to enjoy that time, even though you're stuck in this in-law dinner, or if there's art and you can appreciate art, bringing your mind and your eyes visually back, bringing you, you out of your head back into your body and into your present experience is one way that I, I, share with people in those really early stages, but I really love what you are talking about in terms of fantasy is difficult to stay away from forever. So being able to transition people just like masturbation, you know, same thing. It's like originally you likely, if it's been coupled to pornography, it has to come off the table for some amount of time until you have more control over it. You uncouple it and you find a healthy way to do it. And I really like that in terms of fantasy, because I haven't um, really thought of it as that before. So that's, that's beautiful. I like that. Um, how about one more thing on sexual urges? Cause you said about impulses. So again, 
I like to save all the tricky ones for you. So do you have any thoughts on those initial compulsions and urges or cravings in those very early stages? Because from a neuroscience standpoint, if you can get a win and you can get a small win, I've made a few videos and I share this with people a lot, but it's to me, it's probably one of the most difficult things for people to do is get a small win when you're compelled to go back to the screen that first time when you've made that, you signed up for that program, you've made that financial commitment, you've made the time, you put it in, you know, shouted it out on social media. Everybody wish me luck. Here I go. Then, you know, it's later that night, it's 9 p.m., you're bored to death, your phone's next to you, and you're feeling that urge to go back to the screen. Getting the win over that moment can be the thing that propels you forward towards recovery. You know, the perceived loss, and I'm with you on that, there is no such thing as failure. There's only win or learn. So those yeah. perceived failures can can damage people's motivation and inspiration. Do you have any thoughts on how to help them get over that initial hurdle? Yeah. I mean, this is a lot of what I spend you know, many hours, so many calls <laughs> talking with people about, so I can't encapsulate it all here, but I want to say three, <laughs> three main fronts that you can attack this problem from. And if you can take care of these three, you'll be yeah, doing beautiful. yourself a huge favor and making it a lot easier for yourself. Beautiful. Um, number one would be filling up your life as much as possible with things that are are stimulating, yes, but are stimulating in a healthy way that doesn't leave you, you know, keeping secrets or being ashamed about how you spent your time and having having outlets for yourself that are interesting, you know, filling up your days and your life with with passion and experience and and things to do, things to express yourself with. So if you're, you know, it's nine o'clock at night and you're you're thinking about you know picking up your phone and doing some browsing, but you, there's also a book on your nightstand that you've been reading that you know you're really interested in. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I'll just read this book for a little while, and then you know, 30 minutes later, you're sleepy and you go to sleep, mm -hmm. or you, know, you you have you know an exercise habit that you like to do. Maybe you're you know you're training for a marathon or something, and you're excited about that. That's a goal that you can get passionate about. So you say, okay, well, it's it's kind of late, it's dark outside, but whatever. I'm just going to go for a run instead, mm -hmm. get some of this energy out. And you have these outlets, you know, dopamine is not a bad thing at all. Mm -hmm. And if we, you know, it drives us forward, it's, it's part of that, that motivation system within us. And if mm -hmm. we can give ourselves some of these healthy outlets and included in those are relationships too, you know, having connection with other people and, you know, maybe at nine o'clock at night and you're having those thoughts, you think, oh, I'll just, I haven't talked to my mom in a while. I'm going to give my mom a call. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily to talk about this urge that you're having, but just <laughs> to have a little connection, you know, just to, mm -hmm. you know connect and catch up and make her laugh. Mm -hmm. And any of these ways that you can fill up your life is going to help keep your mind away from the old compulsive self-destructive behaviors and having especially disciplines that become habitual and that are, are daily things. Um, having a daily habit of exercise, meditation, journaling, connection, you know, these are common ones, mm -hmm. can help you ma maintain a consistent level of healthy stimulation in your life to keep your mind off of those things. Uh, number two would be having protections for yourself, you know, set, protecting yourself, especially in your home environment and on your own devices. It's like an alcoholic is always going to be able to get their hands on some alcohol if they really want to, but that doesn't mean that they keep a full liquor cabinet in their living room mm -hmm. because they know if it's that close, if it's that easy, then all it takes is a few seconds of vulnerability and temptation mm -hmm. to follow through on that. And it's the same with our, our devices. You know, if I can open up a browser and within a few seconds have pornography, 
that barrier to entry is just way too low. So protecting ourselves on our devices is one way that we can shore up some fences for us that keep us on the path that we've chosen. And there are lots of software solutions like we talked about earlier. Um, I'm currently involved with one of them. I'm working with Remojo, which is an app that's available for Android, iOS, PC. And that's part of what that provides is blocker. So you can just block adult content at various levels. And there's also accountability, you know, which is really important such that if I try to deactivate my blocker, it'll alert my accountability partners. You know, if I've chosen my friend or my family member, they'll get an alert so that they can see, oh, maybe Noah's in trouble. I should give him a call. Yeah, right. And I can know, okay, this isn't going to be completely secret. And that should give me that extra little push to, okay, no, I'm just going to read my book. I'm just going to go for a run <laughs> and I'll leave this decision for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So yeah, having right. those protections set up uh, on your devices is important. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, this is something I work with people on individually because everyone has different devices, or maybe there's like a, a smart TV in the home that they can mm -hmm. access the web mm -hmm. on. And that can be that can be difficult. So the solution is different for everybody, mm -hmm. um, but it usually involves the third thing, which is having the right support in your life. Mm -hmm. And trying to do this alone, you know, just watching videos or just you know taking a course on your own, but not letting anyone in, not talking mm -hmm. to anybody about this, is you're making it ten times harder on yourself than it needs to be. Yeah. And yeah. a support system that's varied is important as well. So you know, having someone like you or myself mm -hmm. to talk to who is very familiar with all of this and can guide you through it, that can be important. Having contact with a group of people who are kind of at a similar level, you know, a support group or a 12-step, that can be important and helpful, but also loved ones in your life, you know, family members or friends who you can make yourself vulnerable and open up and share, hey, I'm struggling with this. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about it. Uh, that can be hugely helpful in in so many ways. Well, number one, they can then fulfill that accountability partner role on any software mm -hmm. you have. Uh, they can just be there with you to talk about it. But number two, it starts breaking down that shame that you might mm -hmm. have built up. You know, keeping secrets, there's inherently some shame in that because we feel like if we if we let those secrets go, if we open up those walls, then people might not accept us for who we are. They might not might not love us anymore, might not have the same respect for us. And mm -hmm. starting to break those down can be incredibly healing because mm -hmm. when you when you do take that risk, that leap of faith, and you open mm -hmm. up to your, your brother, for example, um, and you see, oh, actually, he still loves me. He still accepts me. And <laughs> you know, maybe he even admires me more now because I had the courage to open up about this. And maybe he even you know, opens up about something that's going on in his life that he's been ashamed to talk about. And now we're actually closer together than ever. Uh, that's that's such a huge step forward in recovery when you can start to reach out and break down those walls and be vulnerable again. And that can be a step towards building real relationships too, because like you said, pornography is about control and avoiding vulnerability. But when you can start to take steps toward vulnerability and self-acceptance, that can lead to being much more able to open up in a romantic relationship as well and form those deep intimate connections. Yeah, love it. It's great. We talk the we talk the exact same language. Uh, you know, that's I always tell people. You know, you, if you've seen any of my videos, you hear me say, "Get on purpose in your life, your relationships, and your hobbies." You know, and that's the way that I talk about. You know, being able to build that connection and 
you know, set up a defensive plan, but at the same time, you got to get your offensive plan going, you know, put fences up to protect yourself in the short run, but you got to get your offensive game of structure and discipline and resilience going. Um, And I just talked with someone the other day and he, a lot of people do this, but just in, in, you know, fresh in my mind, should I tell my girlfriend, you know, I'm really serious about her and, and I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe not right this second, if you're not ready, but get yourself ready because you don't want this to be, you know, in a closet for the rest of your life. If you think this relationship's moving forward. And the way I speak of that is that you create vulnerability, but you end up becoming invulnerable because then in that primary relationship, especially if you want to begin to create the intimacy that you can have across your lifetime with your partner, which you should want if you're healthy, because it's the coolest thing ever when you can do that then start doing that right away. And you create that invulnerability. You know, she's accepted you for all the parts that you think are good about you and the parts you, you don't like about you, but she still loves you and wants to move forward with this. It just seals the deal on, you can just be yourself and be accepted. And, you know, not, we're all human. The human condition is a difficult one. And, we all have mechanisms get, of getting through and the goal is shifting them from unhealthy to help to healthy and have people in your life who can be there for you when you're doing that. We all struggle with whatever at any given time in life. And, and I told a story somewhere once where uh, my one friend, my best friend, she's always like, you know, she knows stuff about me. And then she did to me again this weekend where she's like, just tell her. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> thanks for throwing me out there. You know what I mean? But then uh and and of the the reality is I have a private practice here. My husband and I have a private practice where my husband's a chiropractor. A lot of people don't know that are local that I've transitioned into helping people with pornography. And it's not that I'm hiding it. I just, you know, we're out casually at a concert on Saturday night. And that could be a lot for people to digest. And I, it's mostly out of sensitivity for the Saturday night. So she's like, tell her what your new, what your new interest is. And I'm like, well, and, uh, I told her, and then she's like, both my brothers struggle with pornography and one's gone to prison for pornography issues. And so the cool thing is like, now I became closer with that woman who like, I just didn't, it was out of sheer laziness. I didn't feel like telling her things that were, you know, more about actual me that connecting with me, the thing that's most important to me right now, because I just wanted to keep it casual on a Saturday night, but you know, now we have this deeper connection and that friendship can flourish. So even that's a perfect example how, you know, when we do that, people ask me all the time, I don't know how to make friends. Like when you say create intimacy, I don't know how to do that. Find people who are emotionally safe. And that's where you and I come in, in the short run. People might not have emotionally safe people in their lives. And so testing the waters with some trusted friends and being able to, like my best friend, Chanel, who I tell, who throws me out when she knows I'll be fine, you know, being able to tell her what I've got going on is a safe place. And if people don't know where those safe people are in their lives, they should start with the coach because we are safe. And so I can see the terrored look, and I'm sure you've seen it before. The first time you meet a person, you know, I get on Zoom and there's terror in someone's eyes and I say, hopefully you, you know, this is a safe place. You know, what you're going to tell me doesn't go outside these ears and there'll be zero judgment and zero shame here, but then being able to create that with people in your actual world, which is scarier being able to say to your brother or, 
you know, I'm always so thrilled when someone comes on a meeting and they say, you know, I told my mom about this last week, or I told my wife. And I always talk about the rupture and repair that can happen when you tell someone where, you know, it usually gets worse, but then it gets better. And it's worth the being able to move through that rupture to repair. And people go, you know, I've created the rupture, but we're in the middle of the repair. And I'm like, congratulations. Or someone goes, someone goes, I had a meltdown yesterday. And I'm like, excellent. And and I said, that's great. Meltdowns are the perfect starting point for the building up of the new version of you, you know, and not to take meltdowns lightly, but without a meltdown, you know, a lot of times we need to feel those feelings and to move through it. Um, Okay. So we're almost uh, out of time, but lastly, the the extra loaded question, which I'm sure you got because you've had all of them beautifully um, organized for people, which I really appreciate you, you know, putting thought into these answers and giving people really great, awesome answers. Here's the loaded one is time frame for recovery. And we've talked about it a little, you know, if people do the work 90 days, you can be well into, into creating sexual function, healthy functioning and get away from dysfunction. Uh, do you have any tidbits there to help people make that time frame as short as possible? <laughs> any mm-hmm. thoughts there? Yeah, usually that's something I'd have to talk with someone, <laughs> and maybe I can pinpoint. Oh, like you're doing this that might be holding you back. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a few things that I see commonly. Well, one is porn substitutes, you know, things that are not something that society would label pornography, but that you're using in a similar way, or you're edging to. Like maybe you've stopped using porn, but you're spending way too much time on Instagram, looking at looking at things that are sexual in nature and giving you an erotic buzz. That's keeping that conditioning alive and keeping you from Love it, really yeah. fully experiencing the healing. And that can be true for fantasy too. You know, the mind is very powerful. Visualization is very powerful. So if you're not looking at the screen, not looking at the images, but you're engaging in that fantasy and really, really admiring yourself in it, then that can hold you back as well. Um, people who are recovering from the sexual dysfunction and trying to force themselves to perform too soon, that can hold them back, especially I've seen if they're using uh, Viagra, Cialis, those sorts of pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that I think of that is that you know, it's kind of like an injury. You, you broke your ankle. First step is to put it in a cast, You know, get it into a position for healing. Then you keep your weight off of it. You give it rest. You give it time. Eventually, the cast comes off and you start to slowly build up some activity again. But if you're just taking painkillers and going on a run on that broken ankle, you're ultimately delaying the healing process, which is kind of kind of like taking Viagra and forcing yourself to be able to have sex when your body and brain might not really be ready for that yet. Yeah, so and and it can't learn to do it in a healthy way when it's when it's artificially being created. And in my in my practice, I would see that all the time where different physicians would give people a stimulant medication after they had a head injury. And then they'd come into me for neurofeedback and the brain can't heal if it's being artificially stimulated to attempt to produce when it's hurt. So it's the same idea. You know, if you're hurt, if you're, if your brain needs time for healing, it needs time for healing and you have to give it that time. You can't go out there and run. Uh, yeah, I love that. That's great. That's a uh, really good advice. And I tell people to change more, change things, you know, an easy thing is make changes in your life because people are stuck in patterns and routines. You know, we've already talked about it, but being able to make as many changes in a positive direction. And when people go into inpatient rehab and they come out and they go right back into the same physical and mental environment, they relapse. That's, 
the case for most people, if they come back to a new physical environment and a new mental environment, and they have a support structure in place that helps them, they can succeed. And I think for me, and you've probably seen this too, is that people get excited and get committed, but the nature of a pornography or sex addiction is that it's cyclical. So people, I see it all the time when I do consultations, they'll go, I don't even know why I'm here. I see the look. They don't even have to say anything. I see the look in their eyes. I'm not sure why I'm here. And I just said this last week. I know why you're here because you (laughs) scheduled this during the change point. The change point, there's one place in the cycle, like basically after, you know, when, when the guilty feeling set in after the sexual acting out behavior, there's a place where in the cycle where the person, before they get triggered again, they're like, I really should stop this. That's when people decide they want to change. But then if they get sucked back into the cycle, and that's why the question about cravings and urges, because that's at the top of the cycle, if they get stuck back in that, they can uncommit to the program they just signed up for, for the coaching. And I'm sure you've seen it where people wax and wane in terms of their interest and their commitment and how they show up. And I want to encourage people, no matter what program you're in, Find one that feels good to you. And that's why Noah's here. Because if Noah feels good to you, please reach out to him and we'll share that information in a minute. I want people to find a person that they feel good working with. And then knowing that this thing is going to ebb and flow and knowing that, you know, there might be ups and downs, but they can go back to that person so they can stay committed. And the goal is to get 100% committed early on so that the time frame is as short as possible. Working with someone you can trust, who can give you good advice, can work through the nuances of what's happening. And I know for me, that's the biggest thing. It's like they cycle back through and commitment inevitably, unless they can really make some early traction, it can get difficult. Yeah. 95% commitment is a really punishing place to be. <laughs> it's, you're just drawing out the torture. I had a client say to me, like, yeah, I tried for years you know, to reduce or stop my porn use. And I realized, you know, once I was fully 100% committed, it was actually fairly easy. Uh, once I got all support and I was just, I was ready. But when I was 99% committed, it was impossible. I know. And so many people stay in that 99%. Some people stay there for a lifetime. So, when, and it's exactly like you say, when people say, I've tried everything, but nothing works. It's because you're own, you've only allowed yourself to get up to 99%. And there is a grieving you process. You fully want it to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a grieving process because it plays a role in your life. And that role has to, and we've already talked about, you know, figuring out what that role is and replacing it with healthy habits instead. But, um, you know, so I want people to find a program. So where can people find you if they are excited to work with you? Well, before we get there, there's one <laughs> more thing. Sure. I see hold people back you know, to yeah. answer that previous question. Sure. This is a Great. big one. Uh, I see that chronic stress can have an impact on recovery timelines. Um, we've seen that chronic stress can reduce your immune system response. It can reduce your ability to heal physically. And I think that it can definitely delay and reduce your ability to heal from porn-induced sexual dysfunctions as well. Mm-hmm. And it can become a self-fulfilling cycle when people are obsessed about getting over this, obsessed about checking themselves for progress and for improvement every single day. And they're just like waiting to enjoy their lives until the PIED is gone. They might actually be delaying their healing process. And mm-hmm. I think the best best thing that people can do is to learn as much as they need to, to know, okay, I do these things and I don't do these things. And then once they know all that and they have that set up, just focus on enjoying your life and living your life and let time take care of the rest. Because if you're yeah. trying to micromanage and 
and stress out about this process, you can actually be delaying the process. Definitely. And again, I've told 10 people this week in the last couple of days that when you have a framework shift and you approach this whole thing as an adventure, I know it can be difficult to get to that point, but I know I've done it in my own life. Like my personal growth and development journey started out of sheer deliberate need to break the shackles of what I had going on. But once I got into it, it can be fun and exciting and it becomes more adventurous. And then it's a lifetime. It doesn't end. So some of your symptoms will go away, but once you've learned to see it as all of life as a learning opportunity to be able to continually enjoy your present, but extend yourself into the future to be able to thrive and to move on to the next version of yourself so that you're always extending yourself towards your full potential. That becomes the fun part is in always learning and growing and being and, and doing and being present in it instead of putting up a, a, you know, an end point that always is moved out to the next, you know, next mile out and you never achieve it. And again, that's why I tell people the, the whole point of getting on purpose in their lives is enjoying it. Like stress is completely overrated. And I know I have to check myself all the time because even with everything I know, I still default to doing too much, wanting to achieve, you know, spreading myself too thin, um, you know, wanting to do everything and being able to keep that in check and go, okay, am I enjoying my work or is it stressing me out? If so, and we call it tolerations, what thing am I tolerating myself? What am I allowing myself to do? You know, and then being able to make difficult decisions in relationships too. And you know, I always tell people, I don't want relationships to end. I actually want them to be healed, but they need to be evaluated because if your relationship doesn't feed you, get intentional about making sure your relationships are good for you. And if you can't do that, get someone to help you. And if you can't do it with the help of someone, then evaluate it for what it might be, you know, and then, you know, wise woman, Trish. and then in hobbies, <laughs> nobody does their hobbies. And I know you and I have talked about this, like even for myself, like being able to go, okay, don't take the hobbies out of the schedule this week, you know? <laughs> and so many people do it. Stress rides all of us, but it is just so bad for our brains and our lives. So I really love that because that's you know, things come at us all the time. I've talked with people about that this week too. flow. Like I'm totally into flow state, but you have to be able to get into flow state without the control over it. Like going back to your thought on control, you can't control flow. So whatever happens to you today is what's happening to you today. And you have to learn how to be able to be present and to be able to flow through it. Okay. So thank you. I didn't want to overextend our time because I totally appreciate all of the um, insight that you've provided for people. And I know people are going to get huge, huge value out of this podcast. So where can people find you if they want to? People can find me at addicted to internet porn.com. See all my work there. I make lots, I make YouTube videos, write articles. I have, I have courses on overcoming sexual dysfunction and stopping compulsive porn use, that sort of thing. And yeah, definitely People out there who are struggling with this, check out Remojo as well. It's $5 a month, complete blocker, accountability mm-hmm. software. And uh, there's also audio content and courses in there as well. And that's mostly my job is uh, making them myself, but also working with other experts in the field to make audio courses for the app. So Awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful resource for people. Okay. Thank you again, Noah, for joining me. I really appreciate your time. And uh, maybe we'll get together again sometime because this was fun. All right. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Bye-bye.